the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the Word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the Wednesday program. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is The Word to Stand Up for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your questions, Bible questions, questions about something going on in your life, church questions, anything on your heart. All you have to do is pick up the phone and dial 210-340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com, or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. And as always, I remind you, if you are driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the call now banner at the top of the screen, and you'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Hey, lots going on here at Calvary Chapel. We uh, Tonight, I'll be teaching Leviticus. Pray for me. I'm trying to do two full chapters, chapters 9 and 10 in the book of Leviticus. I don't really think I'm going to make it through all of it, but I'm going to try. Uh, and that's tonight at 7 o'clock. You can watch it uh, live stream at calvarysa.com. Uh, and then, of course, tomorrow, Paula will be live in studio uh, with us on the date day edition of our program. Okay, let's get to some questions that have been sent in. The first one is interesting uh, because I actually heard this radio program. Uh, it's an anonymous question. And he or she says, I just heard a John MacArthur sermon on the radio where he said altar calls and telling people to make a decision for Christ is false doctrine. Why? I assume he or she means why did he say that? And do you, meaning me, agree? Um, You know, when I wake up, I've got a radio earplug close to my my pillow all the time. And so I can kind of know what time it is. I've got the, the, the... the radio on so I can hear who's talking and then I know about what time it is. Well, it was 6 o'clock this morning and uh, uh, I had about 10 minutes before I was going to roll out of bed so I put the earplug in and I heard uh, the beginning of this very sermon uh, this morning uh, and I was um, upset's not the right word. Um, you know, John MacArthur is usually not um, dishonest in in presenting the facts. Here he was. He was quoting uh, extreme um, church growth marketing experts, which really nobody listens to. I mean, there are some people, but but he he, he wasn't representing those churches that do invitations or altar calls. Uh, John MacArthur, you have to realize, is a Calvinist, a dyed-in-the-wool Calvinist, and he believes that man has no free will. Now, forget that the Bible from cover to cover is 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 littered with choices. Uh, choose this day who you will serve. We humans are called to make a decision, and in fact, we have to make a decision always. 
and and you know citing some extreme examples, almost caricatures, of uh, those of us who who actually give people the opportunity to make a decision for Jesus Christ, um, is is really not um, legitimate. Um, it, it's just it's an argument that doesn't carry weight. Now, I've said many times on this program, I get a lot of questions uh, and calls about John MacArthur and or some of the stuff that he teaches. Uh, John MacArthur is a brother in the Lord who has been used by the Lord wonderfully. He is a prolific author. And with the one exception of the doctrine of of predestination and election, uh, John MacArthur has been a blessing to me during my walk with the Lord. I actually heard John MacArthur live doing a a message very early in my walk with Jesus Christ many, many years ago. And it was one of the best messages. It was a message on Isaiah chapter 5 that I've ever heard anybody give in person. So I'm not anti-John MacArthur. Uh, I supported John MacArthur publicly uh, when he was refusing to close his church and was at war, literally at war, uh, with the, the county of Los Angeles um, um, during his refusal to to uh, shutter the church. Uh, so I, I'm not uh, uh, somebody who is just, or oh, whatever he believes, I believe the opposite. That's not true at all. Um, but this is silliness. I mean, if we don't have free will, then God is doing nothing more than forcing us to believe. And I want to be sure that every time I teach the Bible, every time I've got a crowd in front of me, I want to give an opportunity for people listening to receive Jesus Christ. Uh, the gospel is a part of the presentation of every message that I give. Uh, the Lord has very specifically spoken in my heart a long time ago, and there's a lot of people that don't agree with this, but it's spoken in my heart about always giving people the opportunity to get saved. Uh, we don't know where or, or upon whom or in whom the, the Spirit of God is working. And um, I, I think the Lord can trust that I am going to be obedient and provide an opportunity every single time that I have a platform, every time that I have a microphone, so that people can receive Jesus Christ. And for me, not to do so would be uh, to be disobedient. It would be to be unfaithful. And, um, you know, MacArthur's view on this is solely um, um, pictured by his uh, Calvinist systematic theology. And I think it's just something that is really, really sad. So obviously, excuse me, that was a sneeze break. Obviously, um, I, I disagree very, very strongly with them. And, you know, when, when John MacArthur is talking about predestination or when he's talking about uh, election, same kind of thing, or when he's trying to make a point uh, like the one he made on the radio program today, uh, he, he ceases to use solid exegesis of the scriptures. And I, I think that's sort of uncharacteristic of him, but he has been doing that in this area for some time. So uh, I just happened to hear it this morning, and um, I obviously think he is really, really wrong on this situation. Thank you for the question, Anonymous. Here's a question from Marcy or Macy. I can't read it. Marcy, Marcy, I'm getting a lot of pressure that my children get booster shots. I know we're supposed to be obedient, but what do you think? Um, Marcy, uh, I can tell you what my doctor says. And and I listen to my doctor. I trust him. I know he has my best interest at heart. My doctor says, don't get shots, period. I think they represent a danger to our health. Uh, not only are they ineffective uh, in stopping the spread of of uh, COVID, uh, I, I just think it's it's uh, it's been a disaster from every standard. And while I am not a doctor and I'm not qualified to do anything more than comment on observations, I noticed that a lot of people who took vaccine and have gotten booster shots have been sick and they haven't done very well since then. So uh, I will leave that to you between you and your doctor. 
Um, but I can tell you that um, uh, I wouldn't do it under any circumstances um, personally. And I think, Marcy, you're responsible for your children. Uh, and um, I, I think being safe is the best solution. Michael says, are we saved only if we persevere or is salvation by grace thus not requiring perseverance? Interesting way that you put the question, uh, Michael. It, it seems obviously that you're also looking at these verses through a Calvinistic um, uh, lens and, uh, you know, the perseverance of the saints is the P in TULIP. Um, and if that's the case, the, the reality is nobody really knows if they're saved until they stand before Jesus and say, how did I do, Lord? No, the, the concept in the New Testament is simply this. We are saved, and because we are saved, he who began a good work in us will be faithful to complete it. That's what Paul writes to the church at Philippi. Uh, if we are truly his, then... Um, he who began this work. Well, the responsibility is to get us to the finish line. Now, that means we've got to be obedient. It means we've got to participate. We've got to believe his promises. But the reality is, is that a perseverance will be, and I like to use the term a born-again birthmark, of the genuine Christian. You know, we got people that say they're saved and then they walk away from the Lord for years and years and years, if not forever. And, and you know, people say, well, did they lose their salvation? No. I think perseverance identifies us as someone who truly belongs to the Lord. You know, if Jesus uh, is the beginner, the author, and the finisher of my faith, and we know that the Bible says that, then my walk is his responsibility. I've got to cooperate with him. I've got to partner with him. Again, I've got to be obedient. Acts 5.32 says, God gives the Holy Spirit. The context there is in power to those who obey. And once the Spirit of God is in us, and we're sealed with a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance, then we will persevere. So our salvation is by grace, through faith. Even the faith is not our own. It is a gift from God. But uh, that doesn't negate our responsibility to partner with God and do what he tells us to do. And as long as we're doing that, then we're going to be fine, and we're going to persevere. You know, when Jesus was saying goodbye to his disciples, uh, he, he said, you know, uh, to, in his prayer to the Father, uh, Father, to now I've lost none that you've given me. And then he prays for them, and by extension, Michael, he prays for us. So the idea is perseverance is his responsibility. All we have to do is be with him. When we pull away from him, we're on our own. When we try to do things our way, when we make a free will choice to be disobedient, then we're on our own. And the reality then is that things won't turn out very well. What we need to do is to walk with Jesus. Very, very important. Um, that's the doctrine of perseverance. Uh, we will persevere. Thank you for the question, Michael. Let's go to the phones. We've got Harmon from New Brunfels on line one. Harmon, thank you for calling. Welcome to the show. Hello, Pastor Ron. Hi. I, I'm calling uh, to get an opinion uh, that I've had. I've, I've been trying to, I'm searching for some kind of an answer for many, many, many years. And I have not talked to anyone that either was offended or they were they didn't want to answer. It's a it's a it, it's a question about. Uh, of course, I'm a Christian. I'm, I'm I know about the Bible. I can read the Bible, but I, I'm having trouble finding something that just will not leave my mind, and it's something that. I've been searching for forever, and I can find no answers. Okay, I'll try to help. So your opinion only if you want to answer. If you don't, I I won't be offended. Okay. Uh, my question is, uh, no, knowing some, I'm not a Bible scholar, but I know something of the history and so forth. 
as much as uh, just an ordinary man can can learn. Uh, my problem is the question I have is I can't get out of my mind knowing read the Bible and knowing what God has done in the past. He's wiped out civilizations. He annihilated uh, people. And I understand that. My question is, uh, and it has to do, I guess, if there's another question about free will. Okay, I understand about free will. I do. My question is, why was God's own people, the Jewish people, that were cooked in ovens Mm -hmm. uh, in Germany, why was there no... Inter- if interference, any any kind of, of action, uh, why did God overlook that? Uh, and maybe that's maybe you don't have an answer. I, if you don't, you won't offend me. You yeah. really won't. And so, I don't want to put you on the spot. I'm just nope. trying to get something out of my mind that I just can't understand. Yeah, Harmon, I I, I I will answer that. I have no problem at all. The question is not offensive. At all, I think it is a reasonable question uh, for people to ask. Now, let's go all the way back to um, the garden. Why didn't God stop Eve uh, from from eating the fruit of the of the forbidden tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Up to that time, they'd only known good and they'd only known God. Why didn't He stop her? Well, to stop her would have uh, deprived her of her free will. Adam then, of course, made a willful decision, uh, not just a free will, but a free willful decision uh, to sin against God. Why didn't he stop that? Why didn't he stop Cain from murdering uh, Abel? He certainly could have done that. God, of course, can do anything and everything. Why didn't God um, um, stop uh, Egypt from enslaving Israel. Now, the Holocaust uh, of of, of uh, Nazi Germany uh, was a horrible, horrible, horrible thing. But the treatment that Jews suffered for 400 years in Egypt was just as bad and certainly with more victims uh, because of the length of time that was involved. Why didn't God stop that? I can go back even further uh, why didn't God stop Satan's rebellion or, or Lucifer's rebellion in heaven? And the answer to all those questions is exactly the same. God gives humans free will. We make the choice whether to obey God or rebel against God. And then God uh, uses whatever choice that we make uh, to accomplish his plan and his plan was a plan of redemption. Now, before I get more specific in answering your question, let me go forward um, uh, from from the examples I gave to the cross, backwards from Nazi Germany. Why didn't God stop his own son from being crucified? Certainly the only perfect person that's ever walked this earth, and this was a man who cried out to his Father in heaven, Father, if there's any way this cup can pass from me. And the father on three separate occasions said, there's no way. You've got to finish your course. So uh, evil was done to God himself. So why doesn't God stop it? Because he told us at the beginning that when man rebels against him, evil will be the result. Now, Harmon, one of the things to understand is that God is going to put a stop to all of the evil in the world. It just isn't that time yet. And when um, the, those uh, Jews were, were uh, murdered um, and treated horribly in uh, the concentration camps, um, Jesus was there. He was there, but he didn't stop it. And he has a plan that we can understand. His ways are above our ways. Uh, and I'm not trying to evade the question, but the, the reality is that God is still using that. God used the, the sentiment in the world 
uh, after World War II uh, to enable the next phase of God's plan for his people Israel to come into effect, and that's returning his people, the Jews, to their own homeland after more than 1,900 years being away from it, or just less than, than 1,900 years being away from it. It's never happened before. It was absolutely miraculous. But God used the sentiment in the world to accomplish a greater plan. And that plan is to bring his people back to their homeland, to establish their own nation again in the same place, the land that God gave them. And this will be the place, of course, where Jesus will return. Revelation chapter 19 gives us the details of that return. And he will fulfill all of the promises made to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to David, to Moses. All of the promises will be fulfilled. And God used that which was the most evil. He used that to accomplish his will. So people died. That's what evil in this world is really uh, um, intended to do. The the enemy, uh, Jesus said, came to rob, to kill, and to destroy. And he's been doing that ever since the fall. And he's going to continue to do that. Now let me address one other thing that you brought up. Uh, God annihilating people. Um, God was very patient with I come the Ites, the Amorites, the Amalekites, and all of the others. They did evil against God. They rebelled against God. They tried to kill and, in fact, did kill God's people, Harmon. And so when it came time, and God alone knows when their sin is full, and remember how patient he was for more than 400 years, 430 years, the Bible says. He was patient with them. But then when the campaign in Canaan, when, when Joshua took the Israelites across the, the Jordan River into the Promised Land, um, um, the people whose sin quotient was full, in other words, they were completely and utterly overcome by sin. There's no redemption. God gave them so many opportunities, and they refused. And and that was judgment, just like uh, the Great Tribulation uh, in the future will be judgment of God. And when God is judging, there is no mercy uh, to be found. So uh, God was just in eliminating those people. Now, when I say that, people say, well, what about the children? The children didn't do anything. Well, that's a gift of grace to the children who died in those campaigns. You see, if they died before the age of accountability, they would have ended up with with the same sin uh, as their, their fathers and mothers, but they died before the age of accountability. And that means, Harmon, that they were in heaven with the Lord. And uh, that's just God's grace and his mercy sort of on display. So that's the reason he didn't stop evil then. Uh, it's the reason he doesn't stop evil today. Now, uh, Harmon, I can look around at the world that we're living in now, and I see what um, people are doing regarding um, the, the issues of our sexuality, gender. Um, we're, we're, we're destroying our, our major cities in this country, are being absolutely destroyed, lawlessness, um, has replaced law and order. And, and you know, we sometimes say, God, you've got to stop this now. Um, he's the one who knows exactly when the time will be, when he will stop all of the evil in the world, Harmon. It's just that that time is not now. But we can be patient. Christians like you and me, Peter says, God is not slack or slothful concerning his promise. He's unwilling that any should perish. So God is just being patient. And there is a day coming, and that day is coming soon, Harmon, where the last non-Jew, the last Gentile, will say yes to Jesus Christ, and then we'll be out of here. And then God will return to earth in judgment and in justice. It begins with the Great Tribulation. It ends with Jesus' return, and we'll be with him. And then he will set up his kingdom on earth. And it will be the perfect just, holy kingdom of God where he will force people to comply. And I think it's very important. So, Armin, please, uh, first time you've called, God bless you, and you're you're more than welcome to ask any question. And, uh, boy, I sure can't get my feelings hurt when you ask a question. Thank you, Armin. I appreciate it very, very much. 
340-9585. I think we got about two minutes left in this half of the program. Um, JK wants to know, are there some people who are beyond redemption? Yeah, JK, there are some people who are beyond redemption. The issue for us is that we don't know who those people are or or when they went beyond redemption. We don't know when they crossed the line. The Bible says uh, in Galatians 6 that God cannot be mocked. He won't be deceived. Uh, in First Timothy, Paul writes, God knows those who are his, uh, and he knows people who have walked across that line. And I, I think, J.K., because we don't know, that's why the parable of the sower is so important, because our job is still to sow seed, the Word of God. We're to sow seed wherever we go, because we can't tell who that person is who's beyond redemption. You know, there's a lot of people who have done horrible, horrible, horrible things, and you think if anybody's beyond redemption, he is or she is, and they get saved. And then there are other people who just their hearts get harder and harder and harder. On the other side of the break, J.K., I'm going to tell a really quick story uh, about uh, about one such man. Hey, we've got 30 minutes left in our Wednesday show, 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. This is The Word to Stand Up for Life. I'll be back in two minutes. Back to the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the second half of our Wednesday program, 340-9585. That's area code 210. J.K., the story I was going to tell you very quickly is when I was in Bible college, um, a group of us would go down to minister in hospitals and nursing homes. Um, there, there was a, a, a hospital in in San Bernardino, uh, and we we went down there one day, and and one of the nurses said, you know, here's a guy who's in really bad shape. He's probably not going to make it for the next couple of days. So, um, um, would you talk to him? So I went and talked to him, and um, J.K. I've never ever encountered, even to this day, somebody whose heart was so hard as this man. Uh, I walked in, introduced myself. He was kind, no problem. And I said, you know, I hear you're not doing very well. He said, yeah, they don't expect me to last very long. And I said, look, are you, are, are you right with God? Do you know that when you die, you're going to go to heaven? Um, I'd like to be sure that you can. And he started spitting and cursing and throwing things. I've never seen a reaction like that ever. Uh, and he was yelling so loud that people everywhere could hear him. And it was just one of those things where the Lord spoke to my heart and said, shake the dust off your feet. And I, I, I just told him, look, Jesus would take you right now. Um, but it'll be too late soon. And he just didn't want anything at all to do with it. Uh, that was a man who was beyond redemption. Here's a question from Tony. He says, Pastor Ron, what should we do if um, husband and wife don't agree on some doctrinal issues like eschatology? Um, Tony, I'm not one who says that husbands and wives have to agree on everything. Um, I'm sure there are some things that Paula disagrees with me on. I, w- I don't know what they are. But here's the thing. If we have a disagreement about something, we're simply going to open the Bible and and figure it out. How can two walk together unless they agree to do so? And the important thing is that we're able to walk together serving the Lord. And it's always nice when there's peace in the home and when there's agreement in the home. And so what I would suggest that you do is both of you approach the Lord with the uh, I just want to know what's true attitude. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong. I'm okay with being wrong, but I want to know what's true. And the two of you together open the word and study through it. Now, here's what will happen, Tony, when you do that. The Holy Spirit will supernaturally begin to answer your questions and knit your hearts together. 
Uh, He will correct one or the other, maybe even both. But the thing is, we can't hold on to our positions. We can't be so loyal to our positions that we're going to have enmity in the home. So just sit down and talk through the issues using the Word of God. Now, eschatology, in my view, Tony, is a really important doctrine. It's a doctrine of imminency. Jesus said, a wicked, lazy servant says, my master delays his coming. And so if you take any position other than a pre-trib, pre-mill rapture of the church, I think you need to open the Bible. Whichever one of you might not be in that camp, you need to open the Bible. You need to examine the character of God, um, the, 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 the holiness of God, the faithfulness of God to keep his promises. And, and any conclusion that you come up to that is inconsistent with his character or his nature, well, then obviously that is an incorrect conclusion. So I think you open the word and you dig through things to, things together. Now, if you love your Bible, Tony, these can be really productive times. The other thing I would, I, I'm, and I'm just guessing here, Tony, I'm guessing that when you've got disagreement on doctrinal issues, that you're not in the word together. You know, she may be reading and you may be reading, but you're not in the Word together. And and I'm a one-string guitar here. I tell people all the time, um, you know, if husbands and wives are not in the Word together, there's not going to be oneness. There's not going to be unity. But if you get in the Word together, let the Spirit of God supernaturally work through His Word to knit your hearts together, then there's going to be the opportunity for all of the disagreements um, in in terms of the doctrinal discussions um, to be set aside. So I think it's really important, but you've got to be in the Word together. I, I I would suggest you start now, tonight, tomorrow. And you just start reading. Make some time. Uh, You're still going to read personally. She's still going to read personally. But read together. And I think a wonderful place to start, and the only doctrinal issue that you mentioned was eschatology, if there are others, the very first thing I would do is sit down with your wife and read Ephesians. You read a chapter Give it to her. Let her read the same chapter out loud, back and forth to each other. And then let the Holy Spirit generate some discussion. I think that's how important it is. And I think you're going to find yourselves agreeing on much, much more than you would ever disagree on. So get in the Word together with your wife, Tony. Make it a habit. Do it daily. Now, daily doesn't mean every single day because life happens, but almost every day you ought to be in the Word of God together. And then you can um, sit down with her and show her Amos 3.3. Let's figure this out. Let's find out what's right based on the evidence of the Scriptures. And you're going to find the answers to the issues that you have questions about. Leslie says, um, Pastor, is Christianity a faith that should make sense, or are we just supposed to believe by faith? You know, um, way back in Isaiah, uh, Jesus is speaking through the, um, through the prophet. He says, come, let us reason together. And I use that, Leslie, because our faith is very reasonable. Our faith is based on overwhelming historical evidence, overwhelming archaeological evidence, overwhelming prophetic evidence, overwhelming spiritual evidence, meaning the fruit that comes from understanding our Bibles. Um, so, so our faith is not just, oh, you Christians, you just believe. Um, you know, God bless the people that, that do believe like that. Paula used to tell me, she says, look, I just believe it. Well, that's great. Well, I was more of a cynic, and I needed to find out for myself whether or not the word was true. And uh, I dug in. And, uh, Leslie, that's the way to do it if you have any questions at all. But it is a reasonable, explainable, understandable faith once and for all delivered to the saints. 
And we, all of us, we need to have sort of a, 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 a mix of spiritual and intellectual understanding of what our faith is really all about. Um, we, we've got to be willing to share it with other people. And believe me, Leslie, when you start sharing your faith with other people, that's when the understanding comes pouring to you from the Holy Spirit. Because you've been obedient to share, the Spirit of God will open uh, your heart and your mind to things that you didn't know you knew. But but our faith is reasonable. Our faith is backed by overwhelming evidence. And so it isn't one of those uh, we Christians just pull the faith card things. Again, when Jesus was speaking with Thomas, Thomas said, Oh, my Lord and my God, uh, I believe is what he was saying. And Jesus said, Blessed are you, Thomas, because you've seen and believed, but blessed. And the idea there is more blessed are those who have believed and have not seen. So the gift of faith is important, and everything that God tells us has to be combined with faith, but it is a reasonable, reasonable faith. And, um, you know, I think it all makes sense. Dig in. Your Bible has all the answers, Leslie. Thank you. Here's an anonymous question. Anonymous says, uh, how should I react to a megachurch pastor who's left the faith? Did they not really believe what they taught? You know, Anonymous, that last question you asked, did they really not believe what they taught? Uh, I've asked that question hundreds of times, not just with megachurch pastors, but but um, um, just people. Um, you know, we have a, a man who did a devotion one time at our men's retreat. Uh, I actually chose him to do the devotion uh, he was producing just tons and tons of fruit in his walk. It was it was just just wonderful, and uh, he he just left the faith. Now it was over sin, but he left the faith. And at one point, I sent him a copy of the devotion that he did, with a note that said, "Listen to this guy. He's really good. Knows what he's talking about." And of course, when as soon as he plugged it in, he would have known that that it was him. Uh, and, and, of course, he never heard back. So I don't know if they believed. I think uh, a lot of times when people walk away, it demonstrates their motive for serving, their heart for the Lord, their heart for God's people, and, and their heart wasn't really genuine. So the fact that some famous megachurch pastor left the faith uh, shouldn't surprise you. A lot of compromises typically have to be made by those pastors in order to sustain a megachurch. You know, they've got to make people happy. Now, I don't have to make people happy. But if you've got thousands and thousands of people that are coming and and you've got these huge, huge buildings that you've got to pay for, believe me, you need to keep the doors swinging back and forth. You need to get people in there all the time. And there is so much pressure, and I think people just get to the place where uh, it wasn't worth it and they desert the Lord um, in spite of uh, God's trying to bless them. But it usually begins with compromise. So, um, you know, who are we to judge? Um, God knows. And uh, I've known pastors that have fallen away of huge, huge churches. Um, pastors that I swear were saved. And now they're living a lifestyle as though they're not. Here's the real key, Anonymous. I don't have to know, neither do you. When somebody starts walking away from the Lord, stop listening to them. Pray for them if you're so led, but but other than that, forget about them. I will not listen to somebody, no matter how good their stuff was, uh, I won't listen to somebody when I know that, that their faith didn't sustain what they believed uh, in spite of the gift that God had given them. Uh, I had a guy that was a, a very, very casual friend, a pastor of an 18,000-person uh, church in Florida. The single greatest communicator that I've ever heard. I mean, I've listened to lots and lots of people. This guy was the absolute best communicator ever. And, and boy, the church was fruitful, blessed abundantly. Um, and he had a whole bunch of really ugly stuff going on in the background. 
that he finally got caught with and and now his life is really not filled with much meaning because he's not doing what he was gifted to do. Uh, is he going to heaven? I don't know. Like I said a minute ago, I don't have to know. Um, doesn't make any sense. Thankfully, it doesn't make any sense to me. I can't imagine people leaving the faith. Here's a question from, oh, got a phone call, so let me go there. Got Ray on line one from San Antonio. Ray, thanks for holding. You're on the air. Oops, it's me. Hi, Ray. Hi. Um, <clears throat> I don't know why this popped into my head and whether it whether it concerns anything that we have to do with, but uh, nowadays things have gotten so crazy with the... Uh, LBGQ uh, alphabet, et cetera, et cetera. The the mindset of of people thinking everything is is groovy, um, which is a throwback to my my earlier days, which is yeah. not just, groovy at all. But you uh, ju- you just dated yourself, right? Oh, I've done that many times. <laughs> I'm older than you, Pastor Ron, and you're older than Dirt. <laughs> Thank God, somebody's older than me. Yeah, quite a bit. But at any rate, uh, I, I, I think we've come up with a, a, another problem with this AI business. And, and what, what you say the Bible has answered to every question there is, just be in your Bible, know Jesus, et cetera, et cetera. I understand. But what... What do you think the part of AI is doing at this point and in the future, if that makes any sense? Ray, I I was just Googling AI plus to see what it means because I don't even know. Um, I don't know what the plus is, but it's just uh, the artificial intelligence Okay, and, that, and and as far as the uh, LBGQ plus whatever that is, I don't know, but uh, you know, it, yeah. it, it's just the the bent of things going crazy. And I wonder, since in 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 terms of the Bible having all the answers, uh, and they think. That uh, well, I don't know who they are, but uh, it's it's a matter of uh, artificial intelligence is going to be on top of everything, you know, fix everything. What I don't know exactly. Yeah, Ray. I'm, uh, I'm not that. Yeah, I, I just did a little bit more digging here, and and it doesn't refer to artificial intelligence, AI, and there's a lot of, of discussion about artificial intelligence and artificial intelligence relationships. But in the LGBTQAI plus acronym, um, the uh, I stands for uh, intersex, and the A stands for asexual. Um, um, and and the plus, I guess, uh, the, the two S's is, is uh, uh, two spirits. Um, so um, this is just more nonsense, and there's no explanation. Uh, there, there's there's no explanation that makes any sense at all. This just demonstrates the evil of the human mind apart from God. And you know the question I had a little bit earlier about are are there people beyond redemption? You know, the Apostle Paul talks about uh, sexual immorality uh, as being different than other sins. Um, He says all other sins uh, are sins a man commits outside his body. But when we sin sexually, we sin against our own body, the temple of the Holy Spirit. And I think the implication there is that we give the enemy a deeper uh, inroad, a, a greater opportunity to come and harden our hearts. And I think what we're seeing with all of this, Ray, uh, is the 
um, just just the world saying, look, I'm going to rebel against God. I'm going to control my own body. I'm going to do what I want. I don't care what he thinks. And when we take that approach, things get, uh, our hearts get harder and harder and harder. So um, um, asexual and intersex, if somebody is asexual, that simply means they have no sexual appetite, uh, they shouldn't have any problem with with it. I don't think there's any reason to, to separate that um, in um, the uh, intersex. And uh, it just makes no sense at all, Ray. It's just there is no reasonable explanation at all uh, for these kind of things. Thank you, Ray. I appreciate your questions. Your, your mind is always fascinating to me. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is a question from Nacho from our email inbox. Pastor Ryan, I understand there is some disagreement among theological scholars as to who the author of Hebrews is. There's a discussion as to the type and style of writing and grammar as indicators that it was Paul. Uh, I want to say that to me, it seems like a simple answer. I believe Paul is the author because of Hebrews 13.23 where he says, I want you to know that our brother Timothy has been released. If he arrives soon, I will come with him to see you. Uh, the reason I think it's Paul is in his position as an apostle. He's writing with such insight and directness. Not only that, but because of his heart uh, for his brothers, the Jews. The main point, I think, is that he mentions that if his schedule allows, he will join Timothy to see them. Uh, that's writing from a position of authority, uh, intimating that uh, his schedule is busy, and only if Timothy arrives in time. Uh, what are your thoughts? Um, I, I'm not so sure, Nacho. I, I don't think the reason that, that this letter, and I believe firmly, and if you've listened to me, you know this, I believe 100% this is the Apostle Paul. I believe the differences in, in writing style are are easily explainable. He was writing to an entirely Jewish audience. Um, he was writing to people who were going through a, a difficult time, and he was appealing to them on a basis that they would understand. We need to remember that the Holy Spirit is the real author of the letter. And so for Paul, a brilliant man, to change writing styles and approach wouldn't be anything. The reason I believe with all my heart that the author of the Hebrews is the Apostle Paul is uh, because the letter, the ideas, the content is Pauline. Uh, I've read Hebrews a um, hundred times, I, and, and that's a number I throw it. I don't know how many, but it's been at least that. Uh, and when you read it, um, you know, you get to the point where you feel like you're shaking hands with the Apostle Paul. Um, when you've read his epistles and you understand his his reasoning, when you understand um, the, 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 the logic behind his letters. Well, that same logic appears in a different writing style, for sure. But that same logic appears in his arguments to uh, those Jewish converts to Christianity. And he understood their difficulties. He understood their pain. And so we get a lot of the Apostle Paul's heart. And I, again, I am 100% convinced nobody could ever Changed my mind. I'm 100% convinced that uh, Paul is the writer of the letter to the Hebrews. You know, uh, when when we talk about the Bible, say people will say, well, it's written by 40 or 41 different authors. And the reason is because there are some that don't attribute uh, Hebrews to the Apostle Paul. But they have no basis upon that. They just, well, it's, it's not Paul. Paul always identified himself. Well, there could have been a good reason for Paul not to identify himself. And remember, it was the Holy Spirit doing the writing, so it was the plan of the Holy Spirit. I also think it's important from that perspective to understand that the uh, the, the letter to the Hebrews is so germane for us these 2,000 almost years later uh, because uh, they're going through really hard time. They were being pressured. Life can be easier if you just give up uh, your faith and um, and and so it's 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 littered with warnings, six separate warnings, in the book of Hebrews, 
And I believe that we need those warnings right now today just as badly as this um, beleaguered church needed them as well. So Nacho, I believe that uh, Paul is the author, and I think anybody that would read it, take the time to read um, um, Hebrews um, multiple times would understand. Let's go to the last question today, see if I got one I can do quickly. Um, Jenny said, do you believe being on the radio is important? Uh, I asked because someone told me that pastors on the radio just want to be famous. Uh, Jenny, I think it's important because they're getting the word out. I mean, uh, the the fruit that we've had from this program as an example has been unbelievable. So uh, I think, yeah, it, it's an important ministry. Now, as to whether or not want to be famous, believe me, the kind of fame that you get being a public person isn't comfortable. It's certainly not something that anybody wants. Now, I realize there are people that want to be famous. They want to be the center of attention. Uh, Personally, I can only speak for me. I'm just the opposite. Uh, I'm thrilled this is on radio so that when I go out, people don't say, oh, you're the guy on TV. Um, uh, It's just um, doing what God asked me to do and, and fame um, is is the farthest thing from my mind, and honestly, um, um, there are famous guys. I just don't have that kind of impact in people's lives. So, uh, yeah, I think it is an important ministry. We've been on the radio this program for eleven years, uh, and our teaching programs longer than that. So, um, we just want to be famous in heaven. That's all. Hey, thanks for tuning in. We're at the end of the program day. Church tonight. Leviticus chapters 9 and 10. See you tomorrow with Paula in studio. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapels, The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.